Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis chapter 10, verse 10. Nimrod is a, pic- is a picture, a prototype of rebellion. And uh, Nimrod became a mighty, one version has, tyrant in the face of Jehovah. He was a hunter in the sense that he was implacable in searching out and persuading men to obey his will. In fact, the Jerusalem Targum says, quote, he was, a powerful, he was powerful in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord. For he was a hunter of the sons of men. And he said to them, depart from the judgment of the Lord and adhere to the judgment of Nimrod. Therefore it is said, this is from Jewish literature, as Nimrod the strong one, strong in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord. And so that's why you've heard many people say that Nimrod was not just a hunter of wild game, but a hunter of souls. He was on the hunt in this sense to get people to rebel against the God of the Bible, to practice idolatry and even find solace in man's attempt to reach God. Christianity is God reaching down to man through Jesus Christ. But man is always trying to reach God or become a God, Genesis chapter 3. In fact, there are some who say Babylon means the gate of God, Babel, L-E-L is the name of God, so they translate it the gate of God. And there are others that say Babel means heaven's gate or the gate of to the God or the gate to heaven. Uh, there's pe- been people that sang about that. And there was even a Heaven's Gate cult. Do you guys remember this? Uh, I don't remember what decade it was now. Was it the 80s or 90s? And these guys had a, I guess he was the charismatic leader. And he claimed that a spaceship was going to appear behind, uh, what was it, Halley's Comet? And that they were going to, it was beam me up, Scotty, and they were going to go meet the mothership. And so, this is sad. This happened in San Diego. They all drank poison. They put on, I think, Nike tennis shoes. And they all drank poison in a mass suicide. Much like Jonestown under another wacky leader. Um. These ideas float around everywhere and they all go back to this migration and this rebellion against God. And so he founded his kingdom, uh, Genesis 10.10, was Babel, Erech, which is 100 miles southeast of Babylon, uh, the legendary home of Gilgamesh, the hero of the Babylonian flood story. Akkad, where we get the Akkadian language, and Kalne in the land of Shinar, which, by the way, uh, Kalne uh, appears to be a capital city uh, before Nineveh. From that land, look at verse 11, Genesis 10, he went forth into Assyria and he built what? Did you know that Nimrod was the one who built both Babylon and Assyria? Um, and Rehoboth, Ur, and Kala. Actually, Kala was one of the Assyrian capital cities. And resin between Nineveh and Kala 
that is the great city. So Kala seems to be the capital, then Nineveh became the capital later. So get this, there's a connection in this line to Egypt, Assyria, which was built by Nimrod, and Babylon, and Assyria invaded Israel in 722 B.C., Babylon invaded Israel in 586 B.C. And all of this rebellion comes back to this man who built these cities with a tower that spoke of reaching up to heaven's gate. The power of man in rebellion to God. It's still happening today. I hope uh, there's nobody in this room that's shaking their fist at God, but If you're trying to box God, I just have news for you. Your arms are too short. I mean, you can do this all you want. Put them off, put them off. But I think those are the times when heaven laughs. Psalm chapter 2. God does laugh, and he laughs when his enemies think that they can take him down. He made everything. He has so much power, it's beyond our imagination, the God of the Bible, and yet He came down in Jesus Christ to save us. Amazing love. Now, Nimrod was the ruler of ancient Babylon, and of all the stories that took place, here's one story. In defiance of God, he was the prime mover behind the Tower of Babel, a presumptuous attempt to reach the heaven. The zodiac and astrology traced their origin to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. It was uh, with Nimrod that the pervasive mother-son worship had its origin. History records the fact that Nimrod's wife, Semiramis, came to be called the Supreme One, the Priestess. Early in their religion, the legend developed that she was impregnated by a sunbeam and birthed a son named Tammuz clearly an attempt at a counterfeit virgin birth. One day, a while out hunting, he was killed by a wild boar and died. Semiramis was so upset that she wept and cried and would not eat for 40 days. At the end of those 40 days, Tammuz allegedly, according to the legend, rose from the dead in an attempt at a false resurrection. And then there are people who say the 40-day period of mourning may have contributed to the period of Lent that is now practiced in Catholicism. And it is self-denial and mourning. And I'll let you make up your own mind on that. And then it came out in mother-son worship throughout the world. In fact, Semiramis came to be called the Queen of Heaven, Jeremiah 7, 18 and 44, 15 through 30. This type of worship spread across the civilized world. From this came the mother-son religion. In Assyria, her name is Ishtar, and her son is Bacchus. In Egypt, she's known as Isis, and her son is Osiris. In India, she's Isi, and her son is Iswara. In Asia, it's Sibel, and her son is Dios. In Greece, it's Aphrodite, and her son is Eros. And in Rome, Venus, and her son is Cupid. Cupid has a bow, but he's not trying to shoot you so that you'll fall in love. Sorry if that ruined a picture of Valentine's Day. But he is hunting for souls. That's the connection. So in the the world of man-made religion, 
a mother's son colt, a mother holding a child, was born. And I've heard people um, push this too far. And, and I will say this, that even you know, some things that are now celebrated in Christianity, um, for example, Christmas falling on December 25th, is actually the date of a pagan holiday. The pagan holiday was Saturnalia, and they worshipped the sun god from whom that sunbeam allegedly came. And they, they did things in that celebration that have some parallels to, to today's Christmas celebrations. Because Constantine, when he became a Christian, uh, they said, hey, you know, we've got this holiday. He's trying to make the kingdom Christian. So he decided to put the celebration of the birth of Christ on Saturnalia, which is December 25th, because nobody knew the day of Christ's birth. Some people say that's pagan. Other people say that was a bold evangelistic move on the part of the church, because the church decided to honor the birth of Christ on a pagan holiday and transform it away from the paganism. What you do on the holiday is what matters. Now, let me just park here for a second because I know this comes up. And there are people who say, well, because December 25th has pagan origins, therefore we should not celebrate Christ's birth on the 25th. And I would just say to you, I don't think so. Here's why. Is there evidence in the Bible that we should celebrate the birth of Christ? Well, some people say it's extra biblical. There's no evidence of the church doing this until you know, the 300s A.D., but I'll say this to you. I think the angels were celebrating when Christ was born, weren't they? Weren't they singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased? I think so. There was a big light show there in Bethlehem on the night he was born. Sounds like a party to me. Sounds like a celebration of a birth. And then there were kings that came from the east. And yes, it wasn't on the night that Jesus was born, but he might have just been a couple months old. But why did they travel from the east to give gifts to the king? Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him and present our gifts of gold, sil- uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Not gold and silver. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Were they honoring the birth of the King of the Jews? Yes, that's what got Herod so upset. Is it right to honor Christ's birthday? Yes. Just don't bow down to your Christmas tree. I don't think any of you do that, do you? Oh, Christmas tree. (laughs) Now, if you do that, we need to talk. So, look, you can get different points of view on this, but here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the church took something that was dark and put light into it. Now, is there crass commercialization of Christmas? Yes. Is there crash commercialization? I can talk. Of Easter? Does some of the things that happen on Easter with the painting of eggs go back to pagan tradition? Yes. Fertility rites and appeasing of these gods? Yes. They, they would celebrate uh, fertility, the changing of the seasons, the crops, the rain. But Israel did that too. Israel's feasts are all around the coming in of the harvest. But they honored the God of the Bible and they did it on specific feast days 
that honored God. Here's the point. The point is, when you do something, when you celebrate something, what's the purpose behind it? Well, hopefully the purpose is to honor the God who gave you life and breath and peace. Verse 13. And Mitzrayim became the father of Ludim and Anamim and Lehebim and that guy. <laughs> Naphtuhim. And then there's some other guys here and they came from the Philistines and that's all you really need to know. <laughs> and, and Canaan became the father of Sidon. That's going to be familiar to you. His firstborn and Heph. And the Jebusite and the Amorite and the Girgashite, these are all ites that um, were dwelling in Canaan and these were people groups that Israel had to deal with. The Hivite, the Akrite, the Sinite, the Termite. I say that there, never mind, strike that from the record. The Arvidite, uh, associated with Tyre, the Zemurite, the Hamathite, and afterward the families of the Canaanite were spread abroad. So Canaan was a very productive father, 11 names to his credit, second only to Joktan. And um, these are people... Uh, for example, Sidon, the Canaan's oldest son, is well-known Phoenician city on the Mediterranean Sea, 28 miles south of Beirut. Heth is connected to the Hittites, and this is Henry Morris. There is some evidence that when the Hittite empire finally crumbled, the remnant of the people fled eastward. The cuneiform monuments record the name of the Hittites as Kete, and this may well have been modified later into Kefe as they settled again in the Far East. Archaeologists have noted a number of similarities between the Hittite and Mongoloids. Both are known, for example, to have pioneered in the art of smelting and uh, curing iron and the breeding and training of horses. These races would have had connections to the Oriental people, the American Indians who would likely have migrated into North and South America via the Bering landmass by the Bering Strait or the land bridge that was likely there. And so... All these people come from these lines. You say, well, why do people look so different? Well, look around the room. How different do we all look tonight? People tend to take on different characteristics. And slight changes in skin color are very minute things. And so people take on characteristics, and that's what was happening. Some of that has to do with geography. Some of that obviously has to do with DNA. And the territory of 19 of the Canaanite extended from Sidon, as you go toward Gerar and as far as Gaza, as you go down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, which apparently are not destroyed yet, and Adma and Zeboim, as far as Lusha. These are the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands and by their nations. And also to Shem. So now you get to the Semitic people, and this is the focus of the story, and we'll, we'll move pretty rapidly here. And also to Shem, or the Semites, the father of all the children of Eber. Eber is the root where we get the idea of Hebrew. And the first mention of Hebrew is in Genesis 14 when Abram is called the Hebrew. The older brother of Japheth, children were born. Shem's descendants are going to be listed in five generations here. The sons of Shem were Elam, and Asher, and Arpachshad, and Lud and Aram. 
Aram will be familiar to you because it's where we get the idea of the Arameans or the Syrians. The sons of Aram were Uz. Uh, that's where Job came from in Job 1.1. And Hol and Gether and Mash, which became a famous TV show. And Arpachashad became the father of Shelah. Shelah became the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg. For in his days the earth was divided and his brothers' names were uh, Joktan. So Peleg's name means division. And if you read on this, people will say, well, what kind of division was happening in the days of Peleg? And I think it's simply a dividing of peoples. Peoples were migrating out and they were going to different uh, areas. Some people try to make an argument for a continental drift in land mass. I don't think that that can be argued here. I think this is simply a division of people that are going out into the various regions of the earth. And Joktan became the father of Almadad and uh, Shelef and that guy and Jera and Hordoram and Uzal and Dikla and Obel and Abimiel and Sheba and Ophir, and Havilah, and Jobab, all these were the sons of Joktan. Now their settlement extended from Misha as you go towards Sefer in the hill country of the east. These are, summary verse, the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages. I told you that this is in reverse order because Shem is the oldest, so you would have thought he would have gone first. According to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, according to their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah, 32, according to their genealogies, by their nations. And out of these nations were separated on the earth, note it, after the flood. This is what happened after the flood. Now, Genesis 11 will give us more detail, but what I'd like to do is take you to Revelation 7, and we'll be done for tonight. Revelation chapter 7. Um, so, division. I want to talk about division for a second. We talk about a divided country, and we talk about a divided world. What brings people back together? I want to just give you an application point before we close. I have noticed, see if this rings true for you, that people tend to drift towards uh, their own personal space. In other words, I think people tend to drift towards isolationism. And this happens in marriages, it happens in families, and it happens sometimes in friendships. You have to work to keep things unified. Now, when you are unified around a set of ideals, that brings people together, and people say, well, there's a common cause. But the most beautiful thing that brings people together, us tonight, is our God. We have the same Father. We have the same, fa the same Savior. We have the same Holy Spirit living in all of us. And that's what brings us together. But the world is largely divided. And the question must be asked as we look at this, and we look at the division and the rebellion and everything, is there going to be a day when the nations find their hope in Jesus Christ? I want you to look at Revelation 7, verse 9. 
144,000 Jews have been sealed. And it says, After these things, Revelation 7, 9, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from, what your Bible say? Every nation, all tribes, and peoples, and tongues or languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, Jesus. They were clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. And they said, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the elders answered saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And from where have they come? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them, and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd, and shall guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God shall wipe away every tear. From their eyes. Would you bow with me, Father? In our fractured world, we can see why you brought the separation as we'll look at Genesis 11. We can see that man was going to poison himself on false religion. And so you purposely confused the languages and sent the people out. But from one man, you made every nation of men. You determined the times of their. Uh, existence and even the boundaries of their habitation. This tells us that you, it was in your plan that there would be a United States. It tells us that in your plan, we were supposed to live at such a time as this. For what purpose? That we might reach out to you and find you, though you're not far from each one of us. Thank you, Lord, that in the United States, we were privileged to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We could have lived a long time ago. We could have lived in another country. But you set this place apart. You knew we would be here. We would hear the gospel and find hope in our Messiah. One day, the tents of Shem will enlarge, and Jew and Gentile, people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people will with one voice, glorify the true God, the living God. And Lord, um, there's going to be trials. It's clear from Revelation 7 that there's going to be trouble and difficulty, but one day we will be clothed in white robes and singing your praises. Our world needs that hope, Lord. You are the hope of the nations. Those who dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. Lord, let us be a light to our neighbors. Let us be a city set upon a hill. As we uh, wind down the clock to 
hosting the Harvest America. We pray for people to get saved that night, Lord, that afternoon. And I, I just want to pray with your head and heart bowed. If you don't know Christ, just run to Him right now. Trust His death on the cross and His resurrection. Know that He's in control, that He knew you would be here tonight. He knows what you're going through. He knows when the seasons get hard. And yet He is a faithful high priest. Lord, would you pour out your Spirit upon your people. Bless them, strengthen them. Use us all for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What a difficult way to enslave yourself in drowning yourself or becoming engulfed in another type of system than what God wants you to do. He just wants to have a relationship with you. It's not a religion. He just says, here is my son, accept what he has done, and you want to get through me, accept my son first. Yet people, they enslave themselves in these other uh, different things, like you had mentioned, um, do a hop, skip, and a jump through a hoop of fire, and if you don't do it once, you need to do it again. But you have to have the right frame of mind and hope to achieve what they would call uh, happiness. Yeah, happiness, nirvana, you know, uh, exaltation. It's got all kinds of different names. And, and the sad reality, Oscar, is it's dependent on us. Mm-hmm. And if, we t- if we take a look inside, which some world religions and cult systems say, look within and you'll find the answer is no, you won't. You'll just well, be you, disappointed. You're going to be disappointed because you're going to find a heart that's desperately sick and it's evil and who can understand it? Yeah. And so what God's calling us to do is not look within. He's calling us to look up, really. He's calling us to look to Jesus. And, you know, this system, Oscar, really shows up again in the book of Revelation in chapter 17, where you have Mystery Babylon. You have this this harlot riding the scarlet beast. And she's really, in many ways, um, caused the whole world to be lured into her system. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a pretty scary system, and it looks like it's going to appear again in our world. It's already here, but it's going to try for world domination is what we can see in the book of Revelation. Which is interesting. Nowadays, you have a lot of people crying for separation of church and state. The church has no, um, they have no right telling us to what to believe in morals or whatever the case may be. And yet in the book of Revelation, you see this woman who's writing the beast and you see a merge, a marriage of church and state. And it says that the woman is drunk with the blood of the martyrs, those who are preaching against her, those who are preaching the truth. And yet this woman has martyrs in the end times executed. So she's religious in one sense, but she persecutes the true church of the true God. And this is the system that's been around. And this explains a lot of what's happened in world history, Oscar, is that you have the woman who continues to persecute Let's just say Israel, who's pictured in uh, Revelation 12, and the woman is Israel, persecuted by the serpent. And the serpent's used um, lies and things promising, you know, uh, this is going to be good for you. This is going to produce what you want. And I can feel there's a lot of agonized souls out there that are trying to measure up to some system. And they can never quite get there because we're just, we're imperfect beings. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.